Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Revelation, the end of the beginning. The book of Revelation can be an incredibly confusing and even frightening read, but it wasn't meant to be either. In fact, behind the violent and alarming imagery of Revelation lies a world of beauty as we see the self-sacrificial love of Christ forever triumph over the darkness we encounter all too often in our world. In this series, we take a deeper look at what the disciple John wrote and why, dispel common misconceptions of what it all means, and celebrate our glorious future it promises. We're in Revelation, and it's been a couple weeks of judgment, judgment, judgment. Anybody feeling just weary of judgment? Okay, I'm not done with judgment yet. I'm sorry, we've got another Sunday on judgment. But um, the way this kind of lays out, just to give you an idea timeline-wise, the church has raptured, okay? So end times have come, um, and the tribulation has not started yet. The kind of the, the start to the tribulation is the Antichrist making this agreement with the nation of Israel. We find that in Daniel. And the church is raptured, caught up in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first, right? That's what we talk about when we talk about the rapture. It's when God calls his people to himself. Can I tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. The rapture has happened. We've worked our way through John seeing the seals and the seal judgments starting. And the seal judgments that we talked about a couple weeks ago are half of the end times half of the tribulation, half of it. And then last week, we started the first of the second half, um, where uh, we talked about the trumpets. How many of you enjoyed the trumpet last week? I have to thank my father-in-law. He is a primo tutor. Yeah, I probably shouldn't make jokes like that. They don't go over well. Um, But this week, so there are three phases of judgment. There were the seals. There were the trumpets, which we got last week. And this week, we're looking at what they call the seven bowl or seven vile judgments. Um, If you look at, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, kids, adults, you can all take that Bible out. You can open it up to the very last book at the very end. It's a red book. Um, if you turn in the white book, you'll get a song. Um, if you turn in the red book, you'll get to Revelation. Thank you. Yeah, you want the red one. You can take the red one if you find it. And if there isn't a red one in there, I've got a couple up here. Um, so... Turn to the end of the book, chapter 15, and this is what verse 1 says. John said, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues. Everybody say last. Which would bring God's wrath to completion. The very first thing I need you to know about these plagues This is the last part of his wrath. Um, This is the end. We see all these wraths and judgments being poured out. This is it. This is the last one. This is the last seven, really. Um, 
And so we see here in verse 1 that it's coming to an end. The tribulation is coming to an end. And in the following weeks, we're going to talk about Armageddon. How many of you have seen the movie? It's nothing like that. Um, We're going to talk about Armageddon uh, where Christ comes back, his second coming, with his church back to earth, and he well, basically obliterates all his enemies. He binds up the devil, puts the devil in a pit, chains him, and then he reigns for a thousand years. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Armageddon. We're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. We're going to talk about the thousand year, the millennium reign of Christ. And then we'll talk about the white throne judgment, which because basically after the thousand years, he releases Satan one more time for final defeat. It's weird, isn't it? It's a weird book. Um, but Satan comes back. He tries to gather some armies. And the Bible says fire comes down from heaven, obliterates all his enemies. They are eternally, everybody say eternally, cast into hell, the lake of fire. So we're going to talk about hell in a couple weeks too. And then we have the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for that part. I'm ready for that part. A lot of people think that when you go to heaven, you just become a ghost. That's not true. The new heaven and the new earth, they, they merge. God remakes this earth and he, he, heaven, this new heaven, this new earth, they merge together. And we, in our bodies, with fingers, toes, ears, eyes, all those things, get to enjoy the presence of God for eternity. How long do you think eternity is? It's a long time. It's beyond your comprehension. And just a side sermon note for another time. Isn't it amazing the decisions people will make in this life for 70, 80, 90 years, some of the compromises, some of the things we'll we'll do. And, And just this short little piece when we have all of eternity to think about. Christians should be eternity-minded people. Not just this week, not just tomorrow, but eternity should be where our minds sit. And so um, it's the last of the judgments. I do need to fill in some blanks, okay, because we ended last week um, at the end of 11. And so what happens in 12 and 13 and 14? Well, We don't have time to dive into it, but the primary thing that happens, I want to point out here, there's a war in heaven. Now, when you think of heaven, a lot of you think pearly gates and mansions and all those things, but really what it's referencing is the spiritual realm. Y'all know that everything we see in the flesh isn't all there is. What's the Bible say? We fight against what? principalities and powers and rules of darkness. So what we war against isn't actually this. It's in a spiritual realm. So there's a war that breaks out in heaven. Michael takes it to Satan, and we're introduced to three people. We're introduced to the unholy trinity, okay? How many of you have ever heard that term before? Unholy trinity. So uh, the holy trinity is what? The, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
The unholy trinity isn't a biblical term as much as it is a theological term used to group three people together. Satan, who we see in 12, 13, and 14. Satan, the dragon, who is kicked out of heaven. He loses this battle. He lost the battle at the cross. He lost the battle in heaven. And now he's down here on earth wreaking havoc. So we meet Satan, who tries to be God the Father. You know that's why he got kicked out in the first place? Okay. We also meet the Antichrist. Literally, the guy who's trying to be Christ and fool everybody into thinking he is Christ. But he is not. And then we have what Revelations talks about. It's the false prophet um, who kind of interacts like the Holy Spirit. So we have this unholy trinity that's depicted here in 12, 13, and 14. But I want to point you to... Uh, Chapter 13, verse 14, it says this. And with all the miracles he, had, he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, hear this, he, deser- he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded, then came back to life. We don't have time to go into this, so basically... Um, this beast that was on the earth was killed, okay? And when Satan gets kicked out of heaven, Satan actually inhabits this dragon's body. It's wild. Now, continuing. He was fatally wounded, then came back to life. Verse 15, he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. 16, he required everyone. Say everyone. Okay, you're still awake. Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of... A man, his number is 666. So this is important for you to see. I didn't want to just skip over the mark of the beast because I've gotten lots of questions about it. And I could go into a lot of detail here, but basically what happens is Satan is kicked out of heaven. So this gives us an idea that Satan had some kind of access to the heavenlies. We see this also in Job. You remember in Job where uh, God... Uh, uh, Satan was going to and fro, and then he went to God and said, hey, let me at your servant Job. You remember this story? Well, so he, he had some access, but he's kicked out. He kick, gets kicked out down to earth. And um, basically, you have the 144,000, and they're converting folks, and they're evangelizing folks. And then, right here in 13... We see the mark of the beast. You've heard about the mark of the beast. Um, just fun fact for you. Uh, the um, coronavirus, COVID-19 vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Um, I've gotten some questions on that. Uh, hey, should I get the vaccine? Nope. Don't get the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, yes, get the vaccine, please. But don't get it because it's uh, the, the mark of the beast because it's not. Because it depicts right here, it's going to be on your right hand, 
It's going to be on your forehead. It's going to be a visible mark. And with this mark, you can buy and sell. So as we're coming towards the end of all this chaos, all this destruction, what we see is that those who refuse to bow down to this statue, those who refuse to bend a knee to this beast, those that refuse to take this mark, they can't buy food. They can't do anything. Um, without that mark. So I wanted you guys to see that, see the unholy trinity here, and now we're going to get into these bold judgments and kind of move pretty quickly and then um, eat some pizza. Because that's what everybody wants right after talking about judgment. Pizza. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Similar to the trumpets. Okay, so this is going to be similar to the trumpets. Um, same angels here. So the angels have just finished blowing these trumpets, and now they have these bowls in their hands, and they're going to pour this out on the earth. We see the first bowl here in verse 2. So the first angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. If you've ever gotten a blister, if you've ever gotten burned, anybody ever gotten a third degree burn of any sort here? These are terribly painful sores. It even reminds me of Job. You remember Job got uh, cast with this disease and he was using clay pots to scrape his skin miserable, and which is interesting. It's only being poured out on those with the mark of the beast, those with the 666. They've gotten marked with the mark of the beast, and now they're actually going to take a plague because of it, take this wrath because of it, all those who worship this statue. And then we see the second bowl in verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like blood, like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Are you, I don't know if you've you noticed the difference here yet, but in the, one of the main differences between the trumpets and the bowls is that the trumpets only affected a third of the world. Only a third. These bowls affect the world in its entirety. Everything is hit with these bowls. And uh, this second bowl turns the sea into something like blood. We don't know if it's literal blood, how it got there, what it, um, what it actually is, but we know it. He's, John is trying to depict what he's seen. And it turned everything to blood, and everything in the sea died. The third bowl in verse 4, Then the angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. So now, not just the seas, but every fresh water source is gone. In the trumpets, we saw a third of them gone. Now the rest of them are done. There is no fresh water anywhere. So think about this. And you're about to see something here in a second. But um, these people who would use maybe water to clean wounds and think they can't do that anymore. So they've got these wounds that they can't clean. You dig a well, you got blood. Okay, it's gone. There's no more fresh water 
And then there's this little refrain, like a little praise break that breaks out here in heaven. Upon no water. I just imagine these people struck with this disease and, and these bumps and these sores all over their body. And all they want to do is clean up. All they want to do is try and soothe these things. And they can't because there's no water to do it. And this next little praise break that comes out here answers a, a question for us, okay? In verse 5, I heard an angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their reward. They're just. Everybody say just. Just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this question since we started walking through judgment. The judgments of the end times. And it's this question. And maybe you have the same question. Why would a loving God do this? If this God that you preach about grace and mercy and all this, why would he do something like this? Why would he pour out wrath like this? And there's only one answer. He is just. What do you mean? We can't accept only the loving side of God and disregard his justice. There's this thought, especially in 2020, that when we're reading this, we're like, oh, yeah, he's not a loving God. Well, let me tell you something. Was he loving when he put Jesus on the cross? Was he? Yes. But who needed just wrath? Who, need, who deserved the wrath? You and I, right? So if God's going to be loving and put Christ on the cross, we cannot disregard his justice and the fact that everyone who is experiencing these plagues is shaking their fist at God despite it. There is no one that will go to hell who does not deserve it fully. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. We at our cores deserve wrath, judgment, and hell. And it is only because of the cross of Christ that we as believers get otherwise. Because Christ took it. So God is just. Yes, he loves you. So let me not get away from it. He loves you. But on the same side of love is justice. Whew. Everybody take a deep breath. In, out. It's important for you to let that sink in. Now, we move on. The fourth bowl. The fourth angel in verse 8 poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with fire. 
Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And listen, watch this. And they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. So now there's not only no water for healing and, and, and cleaning, but now the sun, which is an opposite. If you remember in the trumpets, God took out a third of the sun. He took out a third of the sun. So it got cold here on earth, abnormally cold. Now he reverses it with this bowl and scorches people with this heat blast from the sun. And there is no water to drink. No water to drink. And even amidst all this, I don't know, but me personally, I'm thinking, now's the time. Now's the time to turn to Jesus, right? Which I'll give you this also. Another difference between the trumpets and the bowls is that after the trumpet judgments, people still had a chance to repent. But after these bowl judgments are over, that's it. That's it. And I hate to be gloom and doom, but let me tell you something. A life without Jesus is gloom and doom. Hear me this morning. You need Jesus. You need to be reconciled to God. And it's not too late. I've seen people 80 years old come to the Lord on their deathbed and pull a seat right up to the table of Christ. It's never too late. No water to drink. They're shaking their fists at God and not repenting. And then we see the... Um, sixth bowl here. Let's see. No. Fourth. We're on the fifth. Here we go. Verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Now we don't know if this is literal darkness or not or just he, they, they went away. I'm not, we're not sure. His subjects ground their teeth. Now that's the NLT version. But a closer interpretation says they gnawed at their tongues and they cursed God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turned to God. You know any stubborn people? Hey, don't look at anybody. Hey, hey, don't you look at anybody. Shh. We're not having that type of altar call today. I need y'all to leave here in peace. These people are stubborn and darkness has fallen. Now just imagine someone who's living through this time. They're covered in disease. No water to drink. They're thirsty. They've been scorched all over. Now they're lying in darkness. The kingdom of this world. And that's when the sixth angel prepares the way. Everybody say, prepare. Watch what happens. In verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl, sixth bowl, on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. Let me tell you what's getting ready to happen, and I'm not going to tell you about it until next week. But the greatest war of all time is about to break loose. 
And the problem was, on one side of the Euphrates River is God's town. It's Jerusalem on this side. And at this point, keeping people from attacking it has been the Euphrates River. And so what does this sixth angel do? Pours out its bowl and dries up this river so that these armies can start marching their way towards what they think is they're going to destroy God's people. They're going to finish the job. And what they don't know is they're walking into destruction. They're walking into destruction. This is interesting. In verse 13 it says, And I saw three angel spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. So there's the, the unholy trinity right there. And these frogs jump from their mouth They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for the battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God, the Almighty. Verse 15 says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. It's quoting here. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. It's not spelled with an E, but if you're from New Kent, you say naked. You know what I think this points out, the scripture points to, that I think we're missing all together? I don't think anybody's looking. I think between COVID and elections and bickering, and polarized society, and looking for wrongs in each other, and getting distracted by finances or job. I think there's so many things in this life that aimed at what? Distracting us. From what? Watching for his imminent return. We need to wake up, folks. We need to wake up and pay attention. In verse 16, it says, The demonic spirit, spirits gathered all these rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. That's where we get it, right there. We'll talk about Armageddon and the second coming next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about new heaven, new earth. And then guess what we're going to do? Q&A. Yeah. So if you haven't been here with us long, every now and again we'll do a question and answer service. So for, and I look, this is no way an in-depth research study of Revelation. We just, I, it would, I would have, like Macy would graduate college before we finish that. So for your questions that you might have about what we've been studying in Revelation, you will get a chance to ask those questions on the 23rd, um, on the 23rd. So uh, make sure to write them down, remember them, because I don't, I don't want you to be, you'll get to ask them live in service, which is the really edgy part of the whole thing, because I don't know what you're going to ask. Uh, some of you ask some pre-recorded stuff, but um, just don't ask anything weird, okay? Just don't ask anything weird, and we'll, we'll be good. Okay. Seventh bowl, last one. You ready? Verse 17. 
Then the seventh angel, oh, I love this part, poured out his bowl into the air. And a mighty shout! I didn't have a trumpet, so I just want to make sure. And a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, It is finished. It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck the worst since people were placed on the earth. This is the worst earthquake we have ever seen. Actually, we've never seen. It's the worst earthquake we've never seen, literally. The great city of Babylon split into three sections. The cities of many nations fell into a heap of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled, and there was a terrible hailstorm. Check out this hail. And hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds. 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. Watch this. They cursed God. They cursed God. Three of the greatest words in all of Scripture. My three favorite words in all of Scripture. Now, there's, there's a couple I could go to. One is in the beginning. There was God, right? But that's more than three. Sorry, I'm from New Kent. I'm sorry, okay? Y'all are like, oh, who is this guy? How did he get up here? Um, three favorite words in all of Scripture. It is finished. Right here. We see it right here. Where else did we see it? On the cross. On the cross of Christ. We see Christ yell out from the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. What was finished on the cross? The pouring out of wrath for you and I was finished on the cross. What does this point out? God's wrath, God's wrath is finished. He's not going to pour out any more wrath after this. There's still a judgment to come. A final judgment for all those who have rejected Jesus at the white throne. Judgment, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. But as I, as I close, my father-in-law's here. Praise God. I need to beg you. I need to beg you of something. There are some takeaways for us today. First takeaway I would tell you is this. God is a just God. And we saw it earlier um, where John sees the throne room and underneath the altar there are all the saints. And they're saying, when are you going to pay retribution to those who have persecuted us. 
who have slain us, who have killed us. When is that going to happen? And I don't know if what paths you've walked. I don't know. I don't know what the paths you have walked. But I can tell you for Carl, I can tell you for Carl, I've walked some rough paths. And I've been hurt by many people. And I know there could be victims of abuse watching this. There could be... There's, a, there's always been a question in my younger years of faith is, are they going to get away with that? Are they going to get away with this? And the answer is no. God is a just God, and there is a penalty for sin. God is just. The other takeaway from this, as we come to the end of the tribulation, is Everyone is going to have an ample opportunity to know him. There is no excuse. There will be no excuses at the end of the day for not choosing Jesus. The last thing that we can take away is this. God is not oblivious to injustice and pain. God is not oblivious to justice and pain. Where are you getting that, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you. All throughout the tribulation, you see people crying out, God, all this persecution, all, this, all these hard times that we've been facing, where's the justice for that? He's not oblivious to it. In fact, he is so keenly aware of your situation. That he sent his son Jesus. He's so keenly aware that you have a sin problem. Right now, in this morning, that he sent Christ to die. To take that wrath as a substitute for you. And so as, as we pray today, and we get ready to go have some and go about our week. Hear me this morning. Hear me. Wake up. Hear me. God sees you right where you are and knows everything about you. You know that? You know all that secret sin you try and hide and pretend like it's not there? God sees it. God sees you. And the Bible would tell us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He didn't die for a future version of you. Hear me. He didn't die for a perfect version of you, an okay version of you. He died for you while you were at your worst. And that's the Savior we worship. This is the God, a God who loves, but a God who is also just. So I'm going to pray. Before I pray, I, I want to ask, um, 
How many of you have something you need us to pray about this morning? You don't have to say it out loud. We're not going to take up a prayer request, but just put your hands in the air. Yeah. And I just want you to leave them there as we pray. Father, right now we ask that you come into our situations and move like never before for those who need healing, for those this morning who have lost loved ones who need to know you. God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would work and show those who don't know you that they have a need for you. God, that you would strengthen those who feel weak, that you would give peace to those who feel like that life is a wreck. For folks who are dealing with tension in the home, tension in the marriage, God, I ask that your spirit would relieve that tension. And by your mighty power today, God, I know that you can work all these things out for good. So it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.